Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more, the fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18plusbegambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. Hello and welcome to a special edition of the Game Day podcast with Darren Lewis, Alex Crook, Trevor Sinclair and me. Sam Matterface, this is an extra episode of our usual game day podcast because there was a study this week that was carried out by Run Repeat, a Danish research firm, which was published and said that it had found evidence of racial bias in football commentary across Europe. The study watched 80 television games in Serie A, La Liga, Ligue 1 in France and the Premier League and found that more favourable comments were more likely to be attributed to lighter skinned players than darker skinned players. Darren text us uh, and asked the two football commentators that usually work on this this podcast, me and, and Alex Crook, if we would be happy to discuss it. We said we would. We thought we'd put it in the first section of our main podcast. And after reflection, I thought that it was probably too important a subject to sandwich into a five-minute section at the front of the podcast and then move on to a jovial preview. Darren and I had a conversation on the phone and we decided that we would give it a bit more room, discuss, try and learn and listen a bit more. So here we are. Uh, the report, from my interpretation, isn't saying that football commentators are racist. I don't think it's an attack on me. It's not an attack on, if you're listening to this, you, Crook, Gary Neville, Martin Tyler, Clive, Jim, or anybody else. I think it's it, it's a survey which raises awareness that some of our language that we all use, and probably not just commentators, is outdated, and you may not even know it. We may not even know it. But it could be that some of that language is originated in racial stereotyping. I want to learn. I want to listen. I I don't want to blame anyone. I I want to educate myself so that I can be a more inclusive commentator. I think we we should all make an, an effort. And I think a lot of people have made an effort since the events of the last few weeks have, have raised the awareness of the Black Lives Matter campaign. And in particular in football, those three words meaning a lot to the footballers and, and everybody else who's surrounded by football. So the idea is to have a chat, and, and that's basically it. And Darren Lewis, who writes for the, the Mirror and regularly contributes to TalkSport and is a member of our Game Day pod team. Darren, do you just want to take the conversation on, explain to me what you want to do and what you want to get from the conversation that we're having today? Well, the funny thing is, Sam, is actually I'd like to listen to you guys because you and and Alex, you are in that situation where you very well articulate the action on the pitch. And I I do a lot of talking. I remember being on the sports bar a couple of years ago now and uh, I had a huge row with Jason Cundy because uh, he was talking about Lukaku as being lazy. He described him as lazy. Uh, And I know 1,000% that there was not one hint of any kind of malicious intent in Jason's use of that word. And I want to make that very, very clear now. We were talking in a football context. But I was saying that um, I didn't believe that it was right to use that word in relation to a black footballer. And I explained why. And the reason why is because it has a historical context in relation to black footballers. Uh, In the 70s, people would say that they were lazy when they didn't have the sun on their backs. And when they did during the winter, then they could perform. And I think we've seen enough black footballers do it on a Tuesday night in December or January in Stoke to realise that that trope is just old, outdated and ridiculous. But there are a number of other 
terms that we use quite loosely, quite liberally uh, in commentating, that we hear in commentating, that may mean nothing to the people who use them. Footballers included, and uh, you know, Trevor will give us a bit more insight. But to people listening to this, to people listening to the games, to people listening to the action, they matter. And for a number of years, I've been saying we don't think enough about the language that we use. We describe footballers as beasts. Another word that had, that has an historical context in relation to black men, black slaves. Um, we use you know, talk about their attitudes, you know, another word that has historical context. You've got a bad attitude in the past, used to be thrown at players who actually complained that actually you don't really have a right to describe me negatively on the basis of my skin colour. And people used to determine that as having a bad attitude. There are all sorts of words that I don't think, and I don't think it's anybody's fault, I certainly don't think that any one commentator uses those words deliberately. I, I absolutely don't think so. You know, we, we are friends as well as colleagues, and I know that what your attitudes are in a number of things. Um, and I know that a number of people, not just in sport, sport, but in life, are looking to educate and learn and move on from the period that we are in at the moment. But part of that learning is realising, because I've... I've you know, I've read, I've flagged this up before a couple, as I say, a number of times over the years, and you guys follow my Twitter feed, so you'll know. And people look at me as I'm speaking Mandarin or something, but it is real and it, it is noticed, and fans have seen it, and now the wider public are seeing it as well. Yeah, I had actually forgotten about that row that you'd had with with Jason until you re brought it up again, and in the context of this discussion, and I remember at the time thinking. I understand where you're coming from here. I don't understand why Jason hasn't realised that. And I wonder whether it is a sort of very small, very small break in the generational gap. I don't know whether it's education. I don't know what the reason is because lazy tropes like pace, power, he's lazy. The whole Ron Atkinson moment in 2004, for me, I think sort of was quite a key indicator about the types of language that you are supposed to use and is acceptable i don't think any of us are perfect none of us are perfect we all can learn we can all understand better and i think that understanding it will help people change habits and educating ourselves and a willingness to strive to be better will help everybody sam can i just put this tiny little thing in because uh, you know when I talk about Jason, I talk about also the, the number of people who phoned into that radio show that night and bombarded my Twitter feed, some of whom were black. You know, some people don't know their history. And, and listen, no one's you picking know, on Jason here for a start. I think at all, sure not for one that. second. You know, and, 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 and you know, I, I know, again, I know Jason. I know what Jason's about. I know what he stands for. So what I'm saying is that it was a subject that we discussed that a lot of people were upset by and they, 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 they didn't understand what I was saying. And like I say, we have a generation of people who, you know, black and white in some cases, don't know their history. And so sometimes yeah. it's about alerting people to the background behind these words that are being used inadvertently, inadvertently to reinforce stereotypes that another generation is being lumbered with. Uh, Trevor, language is really important, isn't it? And we have to be careful with it we have to be thoughtful about the words we use for a variety of different reasons and we don't always get it right we don't yeah and it. i say just listening to what darren said there i've been guilty of saying that before uh, in particular cases where you know you have got an athlete who's incredibly strong and i have come out and said what well, you know he's a monster or he's a beast or you know and, and subconsciously when you look back that's the wrong kind of language to use but in general, I think it's a, a re-education that we all need to have a little bit of reflection on what we're saying because even though we don't mean it in a bad way, um, I think sometimes the audience can get used to that. And again, feeding the next generation with these certain types of words, um, it, it's difficult to then um, break that stereotypical personality which is being created. And when Jason Lee talks about opportunities once players um, retire from football, or even opportunities while the player is still playing. If that player is always described as powerful, fast, aggressive, these words, all of a sudden, if you're a man manager and you're looking for a clever player who's uh, got great athleticism, but he's also got a fantastic touch and got guile, but we're not using these words, maybe people will look at these players and think, 
yeah, well, yeah, he's not really got what we need. Whereas if we started being fair in, in the way that we um, compensate and describe players de not dependent on the colour, just on their skill set, I feel then that will, one, give players the, opportunity, the fair opportunity and two, fair opportunities when they do retire. Because if you've got a player who's come across um, as being a great athlete and he's always described in that way, when he comes to retire, maybe he won't get opportunities um, in different areas of football. Can I just say, I remember when you played Trevor, I remember the overhead kick that you from the edge of the box that you pulled off. Can you remember who it was against? It was against Barnsley. Barnsley, right. It's got candidate for goal this season. To pull that off, you need craft, you need vision, you need awareness, you need um, <laughs> audacity. You know, there are so you need, many... You need, you need luck. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was getting to that. A bit of confidence. <laughs> <laughs> but you know he, he doesn't mention it very often. I was about to say <laughs> mentions of this mentions of this never happen. We don't ever talk about this overhead kick. We've never, you know. You know, I think if you played now, I almost think that that would be used to describe you as well. And 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 that's the thing that I have an issue with because when we're in when journalism, we're in the business of selling words. Words mm -hmm. are you know that's our business. Yeah. You know. If you listen to a, a, a football commentator, a horse racing commentator, some prefer, you know, like Jim McGrath is an expert in horse racing commentary in, in the way that he can evoke excitement, but at the same time call what he is seeing in a very difficult situation very accurately. These guys here do that superbly. But the point I'm trying to make is that if you were to look at Adama Traore or Mikel Antonio, these words, pace and power, are used to describe mm. them. Whereas when they fly down the wing, they have to have the speed of thought to be able to assess their options in the box. They've got to have the precision to be able to find the man they're looking for. They've got to have an awareness of the dangers around them and maybe the dangers that present themselves to that person in the box. There are any number of elements to their game that they need to have before you can even start to talk about pace and power. Absolutely, yeah. Darren. I think sometimes that's, it's just, it's almost, um, it's a lazy way of commentating about certain skill factors. And you just, you know, gone on about Troy there. And for me, Troy's, probably his biggest skill set is realising when it's a scenario. So there's a level of IQ in football to realise this is a scenario where I've had the ball four or five times, I've looked, I'm not feeling it. I'm starting again, I'm going to keep possession. So we're probing, we're probing, we're going from laterally from side to side. And then all of a sudden, someone might not come across enough. And then he's got the intelligence feel. I feel this is the right odds for me to have a go at this fullback. Now, he's got the pace, he's got the power, he's got the IQ levels to know that it's his time to go and shine. But actually, his biggest skill set is the way that he, almost a little bit like Beckham, when you get to that byline and you've got the ability to almost dislocate your ankle, while you're facing that way and put a cross in literally 90 degrees that way with the right height so it misses the first man. So you're talking about so many different skill sets involved in what Traore is executing. To actually talk about his pace and power, I think he deserves much more than that. And I think that's where we... So I think as a co-commentator, I try and, I really try and get into the nitty-gritty of the detail of a player and when he's, what, he's, what he's actually executing and what's gone through his mindset prior to receiving the ball. Sometimes at a live game, you can't do that because, you know, you, you're there. The commentator wants to talk about stuff straight after. But when you've got time, I think you would realise that these are the skill sets that are involved in executing that part of play, that he, that pattern of play that he's just executed. And you'll realise that, you know what, even if he has got power, take power and pace away. There's so much more to, what, to his game. Interesting that Trevor has used the term nitty gritty there. Because yes. I didn't realise uh, until reading an article in the Daily Mail yesterday that the term nitty-gritty actually goes back to the days of slavery. I, I only learned that today. So, so inadvertently there, and I'm not trying to pull you off on this at all, Trevor, but Trevor has fallen into just the trap that we all have. And again, this comes down to education and Darren's conversation with Jason Cundy on the sports bar certainly educated me because I probably have, over the course of my journalistic career, described a black player as lazy. I didn't do that because of the colour of their skin, but also I didn't do that realising the connotations it had. So since Darren's conversation with Jason Cundy, I've deliberately tried to avoid ever calling a black player, or any player actually, lazy. 
there is a lot of talk in the report about God-given physical athletic attributes of darker-skinned players. And I phrase it like that because the report focuses not on ethnicity, but on skin tone graded from 1 to 20, as it is in Football Manager. And there is a reason that they've done that. But football is an athletic sport. So you'd be pretty hard-pressed to commentate accurately on radio... I'm talking about radio now, not TV, because TV is slightly different. Because on TV, you can see the physical attributes of a player. But on radio, the size of a player, the speed of a player, the physical attributes of a player are are important. So Adama Traore's physicality can't be ignored. Neither can the physicality of Harry Smith of Northampton Town, who I saw on, on Monday night, or Peter Crouch. So I'm, I'm, I'm asking you... I don't think you're telling me not to describe someone's appearance because on radio you have to say their appearance. But is it that I describe the appearance but don't ignore the other factors and make sure that I don't ignore the other factors? Or is it that I should make that description of that player a secondary event and focus on other attributes first? I think for me, Sam, if I heard that, I would say when you when you say to, about a, a God-given uh, physicality. I that, think that's, that's what's written in the report. So that, yeah, that's well, I feel that's that, that, that's a real um, kick in the teeth for a player because one, I've seen Traore before. He, he he's done a, an awful lot of work in the gym. He's um, he's worked at his game technically. He's worked at his fitness. He's worked at his tactical part of his game, and he's obviously worked at his physicality. Now, that's not natural. He has worked his socks off to get to that physical state. So I feel a lot, I've heard this phrase a lot, like natural um, ability or natural strength. You know, people talk about Rooney, he was a naturally gifted footballer. Rooney wasn't a naturally gifted footballer. What Rooney did is he enjoyed playing football in the streets after training. He enjoyed playing every day to become an unbelievable elite uh, footballer. But then people see him and he makes it look easy. So they say it looks natural. So he's naturally gifted. That's not naturally gifted. And same when you're talking about physicality. You know, Les Ferdinand, let's, let's put Les Ferdinand on a pedestal. Les has been spoken about, about his physicality more, much more than most footballers because he had amazing physical presence. But Les worked his socks off. I remember Les telling me about work that he did time and time again, which sometimes it's not in training. It's going off and doing your own stuff and specifying on. He wanted to jump higher so he could reach more balls because only as we know a lot of people who've never met Les might not know that he's only five foot eleven. Yeah. Actually because because of, of his athleticism and because of his timing of his jump and his movement prior to the ball coming into the box, his win ratio in, in aerial duels was huge. But it's not natural and it's it's not a naturally given gift. And I think that's where we need to try and put more meat on the bone when we're talking about certain um, genetic positives that players might have. It's interesting you, you mentioned there about the hours that Troyer will have spent honing that physique, which undoubtedly is a facet to his game. There's no escaping that. And when I've been commentating it's not on the only Wolverham, facet to his game, though, no, it? It, I mean, I mean we mentioned it in the podcast this time last week. Darren and I were talking about how there was this particular moment in a, in, in the Ham game yeah. against West Ham where he was almost like messy in the fact that he'd picked the ball up in a tight knot and squeezed his way between four or five different players. I mean, you know, those th- that to me is, when I look at Traore, that to me is the most impressive thing. But I, Agreed. Under- I understand that we, we still do describe him as a physical a physical specimen. He, he looks unbelievable in the way that he has shaped his body. Are we not right to celebrate that? The fact that he's such a dedicated professional, the fact that he spent so much time in the gym honing those physical skills and making himself the best possible athlete that he can be. We, we do the same thing with Cristiano Ronaldo. So would it not be remiss of us as commentators yeah. not to draw attention to um, that? Well, it, it wouldn't be remiss of you to do it. Here's the thing. You can talk about it, but there are so many other things that you can do. And I talk about the art of commentating and you guys are, you know, at the top of your craft so I couldn't really give you you teach me about doing that kind of thing but what I would say is that as journalists all of us it's incumbent on us to be able to look into our bag of words and be able to use words other than the same ones all the time to describe players who have so many facets to their game and 
there are only so many times you can see Traore and talk about his physicality. Eventually, right. you have to talk about the other things that he offers. And to be playing at the elite level in this country, he has to offer more than strength Which and I, speed. I do think that we, I think that we do do that. I, I mean, I, do I, we? Well, we definitely talk about his his skillful ability and the develop. Don't we talk about the development that he's made since he's been at Aston Villa? I, 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 I think that we talk mostly when we see him play about his strength and his speed. Every single time I see him play. I, I hear, bar none, his strength and his, his pace and his power, basically. See, I've spent a lot of time this season, I'm, and I'm getting the impression Sam has as well, talking about the fact that he's arguably the most improved player in the Premier League, not because of his pace and power, but actually because of his end product, which was the part yeah, of his deci- game his decision that wasn't like there before. We, we talked about it last week, I think. But, I mean, listen, if, if, if that still, if that is a, a thing that is still over the top in terms of description, then maybe we do have to think about just toning that down and maybe not talking about his ability. I think one of the the problems I think I have is that I try desperately to to paint as many pictures as possible and describe people. I do focus a lot on people and what they look like to the point where sometimes I get a text message from my stepdad who takes the mickey out of me for my mm-hmm. vivid description of Pep Guardiola's dress, for example. Mm-hmm. You know, that is a... That is a or a player's I, hairstyle. A player's I, hairstyle I, is... Again, I do probably too much, but I believe that that's my sort of role to sort of take people into the stadium, maybe. I, I, and maybe I should, shouldn't focus so much on, on doing that, and maybe I should just be talking about how, how people but, but, play. But Sam, I almost wonder if that's almost too far the other way because Maybe, I, don't know. I think the point I'm trying to make is that if you, if you listen to sometimes, and, and we talked even before we did the initial podcast about how much admiration I've got for you guys because you have this skill of when the action goes into the final third, you don't waste a word. You are able to articulate what is going on in a really high-octane, intense moment of any given football match, and you can describe it accurately and brilliantly. All I'm saying is that we all, and, and I include print journalists in this, mm. need to find more words to I be agree, able yeah. to articulate the, the, the appearance and the contributions of black footballers to football matches. We've been doing long enough, but I think the problem is... How do we that, do it? How, how do well, we do I was it? about to say, this is part of the problem, because, you know... Trevor, you were saying that you, you've done it before. And I think we are in a football culture where people come into COCOM and they are using words they've heard other people use. Yeah. So we've not had to we've not had to have this conversation before. We've not evolved language enough and actually said to people, why aren't you more analytical in terms of what you see? And by that, I don't just mean in terms of getting touch tight or, you know, the positioning of a player, but in terms of what a player has to offer the game. Pogba is an artist. Pogba is a guy who can spot a player making a run and find him 70 yards away. That takes vision. That takes craft and creativity to ghost past players the way he does. And yet I still hear the words pace and power attributed to one of the best midfielders in the world. I, I, I think we can do better than that. And I, 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 actually, I don't I just mean radio and TV comms. Yeah, I actually agree with that, Darren. And um, I think one of the, the reasons why possibly I get work um, put aside being an ex-footballer is because I've gone back and done my coaching badges and I coach every day. So when I'm talking, when I'm addressing a group of players, I'm talking about the detail of the game. So for me to then go in, into a press box and start commentating on a game, it's a, a lot of the language that I use is language that I'm giving to 18 yeah. to 21-year-old young players. So I can't start saying power and pace. I have to be, I have to give more detail. I think probably that's what gives me a little bit of the edge sometimes when I'm working in the, in the press box and, and co-commentating on a game. And I do actually try and stick to certain words that I have probably learned you know, since retiring and be- becoming a coach where you know, you're talking about patterns of play, you're talking about uh, guile, you're talking about um, players getting in the number 10 position, little pockets of space, receiving the ball side on. So I, I think I'd talk more like that, how impressive I've been with certain players' performances rather than talk about power and pace, which again, as we, we I think we all agree, is it, yeah, it's worth mentioning for certain players, but to continue to give 
that description of, of, of a player is kind of doing them disjustice because any player in the Premier League is unbelievably talented. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18+, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. You were listening to a special edition of the Game Day podcast with Darren Lewis from The Mirror and part of our Game Day, very much part of our Game Day team, uh, Trevor Sinclair, who obviously played for... England and works on TalkSport as a uh, analyst and co-commentator with us on game day. Alex Crook, who, who will commentate this weekend on Chelsea against Watford and me, Sam Matterface. And if you want any, uh, if you want a question, if you've got any questions and you want to talk to us about it, we'll do our best to get back to you at Sam Matterface on Twitter at Mirror Darren at Alex underscore Crook. I wish I knew Trevor's uh, handle. What is it, Trevor? Do you know what it is? Trevor Eight Sinclair. Trevor Eight Sinclair. See, I don't tweet. Yeah. I don't tweet you enough. I've decided. Um, <laughs> Uh, Crooks mentioned um, the word, the phrase "nitty gritty," uh, has yep. been discouraged by some broadcasters this week. And I, I know I would have said that. I know I, I, I didn't know until today, yesterday, what what the connotations of that word or phrase was. I, 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 I love language, and I have a tab open on my computer all the time, Thesaurus, where I'm constantly trying to find develop new words and new ways of saying the same thing because I'm conscious of the fact that I say a lot of words per minute and I want to make them I want that variety to improve and I'm trying to learn more as I go but do you think it would be helpful if someone I don't know whose responsibility it is I know the FA have not got that much money now. They've just made a load of people redundant, but maybe the PFA, maybe the Football Writers Association, I don't know whose responsibility it is, the SJA, I don't know. Or even a group of us just get together to put together a network uh, where we can help broadcasters, journalists, written journalists, everybody who covers football, be educated on the language that, that we should avoid, words that we should understand, what we can read and use to educate ourselves. I think we've all tried to do that, especially in in the most recent period. But I think as a sport, we do need to improve. Would that be the right thing See, to do? I understand why you asked the question, Sam. But, you know, what? What? a few years ago, there was this whole debate about television punditry and about the fact that the punditry had to evolve because they, you had certain pundits, and I won't name any names, but you had certain pundits who... Whose commentary didn't, whose punditry didn't go beyond he'll be all right or you know they'll be fine or whatever else, and there was this whole debate, wasn't there, where people were saying we need to know more about how many goals a player has scored or we need to have some kind of reference to what they did when they played in France or Germany to Correct. understand the context of Correct. their contribution to any given team. Some of the most impressive pundits that I sat alongside probably knew more about me by the time we sat down to talk around a table in a TV studio or on on the radio. This requires work. In society, you know, people are going away and they're reading books like why I'm no longer talking about to white people about race and other books. It just requires work. I, you know, I listen to other people talk about this issue and other issues, societal issues, 
and I am educated by what they say. And I think the answer to your question is that we all have to educate ourselves, expand our knowledge, mm. read. I don't think it needs to be any particular group. I think that just as pundits look up their stats, work on, you know, study players abroad and whatever else, we need to do the work in this entire so, period within sport and outside sport. So do you think oh, yeah. that there is a, a sub, subconscious, and to quote the book that you just re- referred to, structural racism in football broadcasting? No, I don't. I don't. And I, I, I can't say that strongly enough because I think that we are part of a culture that people come into and it, it, there is an unconscious bias in football, um, full stop, not just football commentary, but football media and in the game of football itself. But I don't think it's de- deliberately sinister. And I certainly don't think any given commentator, any one commentary t- 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 takes up a microphone and in- deliberately intends to be negative towards black people. I just think that we are in a culture where people lean on words they've always leaned on and co-coms come into the game and they say, well, I've listened to him and he's used those words. I'm going to use them as well. And all it is, it's a very, very easy fix. We just need to study. We just need to read. We just need to empower ourselves and avail ourselves of the information that's out there. And perhaps more in-house training as well, particularly for ex-players coming into the game because... I don't believe that those people are under the same scrutiny that we are as commentators. You know, when we're applying for, for jobs, we have to submit show reels, we have to submit demos. I think there has been a culture and, and maybe it's changing that players get opportunities to work on radio and in television just based on their CVs as players without that kind of scrutiny that we come under. So maybe more in-house training is required. Well, I, I agree. With I that, don't Gary. think there's another job in the world where you would turn around to someone and say, "Here's a microphone, um, go and broadcast <laughs> to 20 million people who hasn't had any training on how to use Absolutely. that microphone." I don't. I, I, you know, someone plays football on a Saturday afternoon for 20 years, and then we just say, "Here you go." There's <laughs> a microphone. And, yeah, and 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 look, we we probably do have to do more. What's your view on that, Trev, as, as an ex-player who's, who's come you, into the, I don't, the commentary I don't suppose box? you had that much training, did you? Well, uh, it wasn't by design, but I kind of, when I retired in 2008, I went to live out in the UAE in Dubai. And I started working with Carlton Palmer um, and a really good uh, presenter called Joe Morrison. And he was like a teacher to me. I was really fortunate. There weren't a huge audience watching us on the TV. So I learnt my trade. And he kind of, the way the analogy he put it for me is, you knew, play five yard passes and get comfortable. Understand where the cameras are, understand when it's your time to talk, understand where we've got to kind of, we're tight for time. Mm-hmm. And as you get more confident, you can start playing a few 20 yard balls, you can turn on the outside of your foot, and then you can start switching your 30, 40 yard balls. And eventually you can and do an just, overhead kick. And there you go. <laughs> but what I would say is when I did come back to the UK six years later, I had quite quite a lot of experience. I'd, I'd, I'd interviewed... Um, Sven Goran Eriksson um, out there. You know, I started doing interview, like doing interviews. Um, I, I actually had my own show, um, which was like a, a match of the day kind of show on a Monday night. So I started getting quite comfortable with it. And then when I came to work for the BBC, um, I was fortunate enough to have one of the guys at the BBC who's been there for a long time help me with certain things to be able to move that TV presence into a radio environment. And then, like I say, I went back to re-educate myself in, in coaching. And I feel with the work that I did with my coaching, the career that I've had, when you can talk on generic ex, like former experiences you've had, plus the training and the good people that we work with, I feel quite comfortable working on radio as well as I did on TV. But not every player has that. I was going to say, to, to go back to my point though, do you believe that as an industry there should be more training before ex-players are necessarily put on the air? Absolutely, because... For me, Alex, the first time I went on TV, I was just concerned about swearing. So the first thing I started, <laughs> as soon as I went, because, listen, it, you know, it's, it's, a, it's an industrial language when you're a footballer. You know, every second word is a swear word. So the first thing I did is I stopped swearing in the house. I stopped swearing in normal, you know, societies. And that made it a lot easier then for me to give it a good opinion of what I thought I was what I was talking about without having to worry about an extra thing. And then it's just educating yourself, you know, and... Talk, going back to what, what Alex 
mentioned earlier, nitty gritty to me. I've always said nitty gritty. It's like the nasty little bits in, in in the game where you've got you put a foot in or you've got to work back and track a man when really you don't want to be doing. You want to be passing him up. These are the kind of things that I've always associated with nitty gritty. But again, thanks to Darren and listen, we've all got to look in the mirror and, and try and educate ourselves and improve ourselves. Yep. And I'm glad Darren's. You know, well, I'm glad Alex has mentioned that. You know, from listening to Darren, and I think you know if we start learning more about these different words, which are got associations with slavery and, you know, a really uncomfortable uh, past. Um, I think we can all become better commentators and, you know, give a better message to the general public. Is that a, a key thing, though, isn't it? When we talk about education, actually, it, it would be helpful if we went back and studied a little bit of black history, because I don't think I knew as much about black history as well I certainly didn't know as much as I thought I knew I thought I had a pretty good handle on it I've start, started reading into it and realized I knew very little and actually after educating myself I was I was not 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 shocked because I knew that there could be some 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 dark parts of British history which was underreported but I think I was I think I think I was surprised more than anything else that it was a story that wasn't told. And I think one of the other yes. ways of improving the language that we use is by starting to educate ourselves on the real past of, of our country, the real past of the people that are in our country, uh, the, you know, from whatever race, from whatever journey anyone's taken to to to. to, to to, to, to where they are now in their life. I, I Can I just in there, Sam? I mean, one thing I, I feel when we're when talking about this subject, I feel there's two, 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 two facets to it. One, I think it, sh it, sh it should be in the uh, curriculum, the school yeah. curriculum. I really do, because, it, you know, the amount of um, contribution that black people have given um, to, to, to Great Britain is unbelievable. And, and two, I think we should celebrate what black people have done more in this country because, you know, you talk about World War One, World War Two. There was regiments that came over from the Caribbean. There was regiments that yeah. came over. There were black people that fought against Germany. And yet every photo I've ever seen of, well, un until I dug a little bit deeper personally, but every photo I've ever seen talking about World War One, World War Two, I've never seen a black person representing uh, the Allies. But, I've never seen that. But also the idea that we have period drama after period drama on television, but yet there's no black faces in those period dramas. Yet we've had black people in the country for 300 years. So you wouldn't... Why, why would that, those people's stories not be told? I, 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 don't, I don't understand how, how, how that's, that's happened. And obviously the reason it has happened because as we've already alluded to and if you've read any of the books that Darren's mentioned you you know that there is a, a feeling of structural racism in some of the big organizations Darren yeah I think it it is just literally a case of uh, education I think if we can uh, once that happens people will start at a far younger age um, to be able to 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 understand what is a, a kind of a light bulb moment for people now but I think once we have an education things will change quite markedly so I wanted to ask um, whether or not I made a mistake and the mistake that is to do with a podcast that Darren and I did together uh, back in probably about two years ago now Darren and I were working on a podcast we were mm. Um, we were broadcasting from a street in London. Actually, I think we were sitting on a on a, a a pub bench doing a podcast, and I had done an interview, or we'd done an interview with an an, an ex England international, a black ex England player, and he had used the word "coloured" whilst discussing a football event, and you and I, Darren, had a long conversation about whether we should take it out or leave it in. We took it out in the end to avoid causing offence because we thought we would, I mean, we thought we were doing the right thing. I thought we were doing the right thing. Were we right to do that or was the fact that we didn't address it, confront it and deal with it? We did privately, by the way. We did speak 
privately to the individual involved afterwards. Were we right not to include it or should we have confronted it publicly? I think we were right at the time to um, not include it. I, I've lost count of the amount of times over the years that I've saved people, interviewees from themselves by removing language that they used. Because this is my point. If you think about, and I will name these these individuals, if you think about Bernardo Silva and, and Bernard uh, Benjamin Mindy, yeah. um, theirs is a humour that isn't my cup of tea, but it's acceptable to the two of them. And within football, uh, and I, within football, there is a culture of people accepting of humour like that and language like that. Um, outside of football, people feel uncomfortable with it, but are in some way, shape or form able to kind of distance themselves from people who use that kind of language. That's not always easy or the case in football. Um, and often, I mean, we talked about people using terms like pace and power, some of whom are black co-coms as well as white co-coms. Sometimes there is language in football that people just become used to. Um, but I certainly wouldn't want to put somebody in a position where they could be, um, where that could come back to haunt them by publishing it. I know people kind of think newspapers and journalists are set out to undermine people. We couldn't be further from the truth. Sometimes, many times, I'll tell you an example of a manager who gave an interview relating to a player and was um, it was after a match and a player had been sent off and uh, we asked the manager why that particular player had been sent off and had done what he'd done because it was inexplicable. He was a good player and the manager basically said, well, you've got to look at where he's from, don't you? And it, it, we were stunned and it was the last answer he gave. It was in a Monday little huddle and he left and that was that. And um, afterwards we were all stunned. But, and, and we talked about saying, well, we've got a duty to do this. But the problem is the climate at the time wasn't such that it would have been accepted. The climate, this is the thing, people go, the players now are really brave to speak up and, and they're showing mm -hmm. great leadership. And they, The climate is right for them to do that. You know, Marcus Rashford and Raheem Sterling and Jaden Sancho haven't suddenly solved racism, you know, or suddenly it's because that everybody is far more receptive to them talking about it. Mm. But they weren't receptive when Ian Wright and Dean Sturridge and Jason Robertson, a litany of players over the last 15, 20, 25 years have stood up and said, I don't like the way I'm being treated within the game. Mm. Well, look at what happened to Paul Cannonville at Chelsea. I mean, it's Absolutely. the most disgusting thing you've ever heard. I, I was part of the, the, the documentary out of their skin where, you know, you had players on there saying, I, I, I had to leave the game because I wasn't pre prepared to put up with being treated the way I was being treated. And there are so many good players who will tell you the same story. Yeah. But, sorry, Trev. You, uh, you yeah, know, no, Darren, I, I, I couldn't agree with you more there. And towards the end of my career, you could sense, you know, the banter in changing rooms, um, black players weren't accepting it. Um, and you're right, there wasn't a platform for us to complain. I remember playing an under-21 game in, in Europe and Dean Gordon was playing right back in front of me. I was slightly lighter than Dean at the time in complexion, in our blackness. Um, and Dean got horrific racist chants from the crowd and it, it really upset him. It upset me but for some reason, I didn't get the same criticism or uh, abuse that he got. And nothing was done about it. The effort, it was obvious what was going on. It was clear for everyone to hear. You know, I was absolutely mortified for him, you know, as a, as a friend on a, on a human level. Um, it affected me a little bit, but it affected Dean hugely. Uh, and I, I'd, I'd love to have a conversation with him about that to see if he... He still has, you know, vivid memories of that and it, it, it affects him. But, um, yeah, the, the, it wasn't the platform. There was no way, there was no structure for us to make complaints, there was no structure for us to speak out. Um, obviously, social media, I think, has evolved that now because you can actually hold 
address uh, the media yourself if you have any kind of grievances. Um, but like you say, you know, maybe our hardship, maybe Ian Wright's, uh, maybe Paul's at Chelsea, them experiences have enabled the players of today to have a voice and, and, to, and, and to voice their concerns and their grievances about racism. I know we've all had experiences of doing interviews with people who have made statements in interviews, which I think we have all been taken aback by. Um, I've interviewed managers. I've done an interview with someone who works in our game, who I've then said, I'm not going to include this piece of tape because I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be perceived in a way which I don't think you meant. And I, I don't think it's, 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 it should go out. I think what you said about the climate is really important because I think if you had have put it out at that time, the reception to it wouldn't have achieved what the intention was hoping. So we would have put that out hoping that it would have been condemned and that person would have learned from it. But I don't think that would have happened maybe 10, 15 years ago. I think it would have been excused. There would have been reasons to cover it up or to sweep it away whereas well sam sam it was pretty even if you had a complaint in the changing rooms or about whatever kind of grievances whether to do with racism you'd be then called say say he's he's got a chip on your shoulder yeah stop being soft you know these kind of phrases you'd be saying stop feeling sorry for yourself prove them wrong but you should listen you shouldn't have to do that correct and again going back to the player that you spoke about earlier i know this player you know He's a he's a good guy, but again, it's generational. It was accepted in his time for these phrases to be used. Mm. It's not you, accepted now. So you know, I, I I spoke to a player. I've spoken to a player, and uh, Sam, you might have been at the same thing, where he talked about almost being radicalised into believing that racist abuse was just a normal, acceptable part of banter in addressing one. Um, institutionalised, I think, was the word he used into just begin into just thinking it was normal. So there are certain types of language that players then almost come out of the game with, thinking that they are normal, acceptable terms to use because they've been around them for so long. Um, and they may feel they're not meant in an insulting way. They're just used as a part of an everyday discourse. But the problem is that when you believe that, then you will use it and you'll realise that the world outside has a very different reception to the world inside of the bubble that is football. Have we come as far as we think we have? And I ask that question because you give me food for thought there with the story you've told about the ex-player because I've been around a, a, a manager who has made derogatory remarks about black players and the same manager has made derogatory remarks about black players on more than one occasion. Uh, on one occasion, he actually addressed a, a passing black player as someone who quotes used to sell cockles on the beach. Um, and I wasn't the only journalist who heard that. There were more senior, more seasoned reporters than me who heard that. And, and it wasn't reported at the time. And I'm, I wonder, Darren, if that happened now in 2020 and you were part of a press pack, do you think A, that manager would be pulled up on it? Do you think B, it would be reported and, and put in the public domain? Or, or C, would there still be an element of our profession that would want to protect that manager? I think the climate would be different now. Um, uh, I, I think there'd be less of a will to protect a manager because if you're trying to change a climate and you're trying to do things on the outside, then you've got to change things on the inside as well. Um, and I, I think a lot of people have realised that there may be things that they inadvertently did in the past that were wrong, that they may have felt was, you know, part of their avuncular, you know, jovial kind of discourse and, and the relationship that they had with journalists or with people, with players that they just can't do. Now, there are some people who will never learn. You know, we know this, you know, in, in our families, in our in our day-to-day -day lives, um, but certainly within the sport of football, not only will there be less of a will to tolerate it, but, you know, there'll be people who don't have relationships with managers that they want to try and protect. You know, there'll be people who are not thinking about longer-term view. And there'll be people who will just be, you know, 
you know how I am and have been for a long time. I'm very honest about the fact that football has a racism problem and have been for a long time. And I think that there'll be people who are very, very swift and, and, and not determined to, to kind of allow it to go under the radar as it used to. Would you, Alex, call it out now? If you were in that scenario again, would you report that story? Because I know that now, if I had... Uh, if I had an, uh, if I was in a an interview huddle like I was in in two thousand and whenever it was very early in the two thousands and I heard a a particular phrase uttered and I edited it out and didn't put it on air I now know that I would not do that now I would not take it out at this moment in time whether that's right now and wrong then or wrong then and right now I don't know but I think. There are times when I've taken things out of an interview which I should not have taken out. I should have, uh, I mean, again, we're going back to looking back 20 years ago, whatever, and, and and maybe it wouldn't have been received the right way and I probably would have got in trouble for doing so. But I wouldn't do that now. If it, no. If I saw I an, an element of racism, I'd like, well, I would now. I'd feel, I'd feel a responsibility to say something. To I agree. Area. But I, I think the, the two stories that we've shared are very different. In the story you told about the former player, maybe that was just a lack of education. It doesn't sound like there was any malicious there was, intention. No, there was definitely no malice in that. What, what, whereas in my story, the manager was deliberately mocking a player because of the colour of his skin. So I think there would be more of a responsibility on me now to share that story than you with the former player. In fact, I think you and Darren probably treated your incident in the right way and you would probably do the same thing again, correct, Darren? Well, yeah, because, look, you, you guys will know, even now, if you report racism, you're probably most likely to be vilified more than the guy who's committed the racism. That's the way football is. You know, I, I can't tell you the number of players that have come forward yeah, I say you can't tell you know players have come forward and everyone says if he's proven to be wrong he should be hit sorry fans have said if he's proven to be wrong he should be hit with a 10 match ban you know and, and, and they put the onus on the player think of Anton Ferdinand who got a bullet in the post when he reported the racist incident that he'd been involved in think of Jonathan Lecco who said only this year I will never report racism again because I had to wait six, seven months and then I, they made me feel like I was the victim. You know, so you have to set any judgment that you have about whether you report something against the climate within which it could be received. Because I'm telling you, and I tell all of you, I started, when I started covering football at a national level, I'd go to games hear racist abuse, and it was as if I was at a different match when I picked the papers up in the morning. You know, the football for a long, 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 long time has had its head in the sand over racism, which is why even now in 2020, it's struggling to deal with the problem. If it was any other industry, we'd have hard, fast solutions and not worry about what if this or what if that would have hard, fast solutions. But we have a culture of racism within football, which is why we're struggling to deal with it in the year 2020. The last thing I want to address is sort of almost relevant to the the survey that came out, and we have sort of strayed away from that. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, and I understand why we have done because we've become a bit of a wider discussion, really. But um, why is Sadio Mane not talked about for Player of the Year? Yet Virgil Van Dijk and Henderson are both routinely mentioned. Is that? because of the colour of his skin. He's an incredibly skillful, tremendously balanced, wonderfully aware, intelligent footballer who takes up great positions. His influence on games is statistically greater than any other Premier League player over this season. His 14 Premier League goals have been worth 18 points, which is the greatest direct contribution to a team's points total in the Premier League in 1920. So why is he not mentioned in the same breath as Virgil Van Dijk? Well, I think you have to Henderson. look at. I think you have to look at who's 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 voting, um, who's picking these players. 
who's setting um, the candidates up. Um, because for me, as a, as a former player, I look at Mane and I just I, I couldn't I couldn't give him enough compliments for, for for a lot of the reasons you just said. But one of the other reasons, which as we all know, it's a team game. He is so unselfish. You know, he doesn't play for himself. He, if, if he's got an opportunity to shoot and someone's in a better position, he's so unselfish. And you ask any manager, you want a player like that in your team. You can't have all Galacticos who are going to be, you know, wanting to score 25. Well, he is a Galactico, goals. isn't he? Well, he is. But he's a Galactico, which he's more than a Galactico because he will give an opportunity to a teammate if he's in a better position than score himself. For me, he's priceless for that Liverpool side. And I've been a huge fan of him since probably... When he was at Southampton, he went to Stamford Bridge and absolutely run the show and looked like he, he was it, it, not just the best player on the pitch, looked like he was running things. I've, I've, I've been a massive fan of his ever since. I've had the um, fortune to, to meet him and he's a grounded, humble um, human being. And the football that he, he produces week in, week out on a very consistent level absolutely, for me, deserves to be in the player of the year. I'm not convinced on this one, actually, that there's any racial connection I mean I was at the football writers dinner last year when Raheem Sterling uh, was awarded our player of the season and um, rightly so so I, no I'm not necessarily sure I agree with you on that Sam the point Trevor just I'm made I'm actually asking the question and I'm yeah. asking the question because the report directly correlates yeah the 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 different skin tone so the dark and and, and the report is actually saying the darker you are the less likely you are to receive as many positive comments I think that might be as much to do with the fact that Trevor's just mentioned there he is a humble guy doesn't do a lot of interviews compared to Virgil van Dijk and Jordan Henderson that's another question and, I want to ask in a minute. And, and I do think I mean I've always been of the belief that England caps can be dished out based on a player's personality and how much media they do and what their media profile is as opposed to their ability on the pitch I'm forever telling Southampton that James Ward-Prowse would probably have more of a chance of playing for England if he did more media. And I do, I do think there's something in that because it gets that player into the wider consciousness, not, not just of, of, of the football fans, but maybe even the people who are selecting England teams as well. Yeah, just listening to the two, I mean, it's a combination of what um, Trev and Alex have said of the analytical and in terms of on the pitch and and off the pitch and also what you've said as well because the statistical evidence is is very striking uh, i don't know i mean instinctively i'm inclined to maybe agree with alex that it has more to do with the kind of culture that a player builds up around him when he gives interviews and gives an insight into his personality rather than any kind of bias against sadio mane um, i mean that's not to say that it hasn't been raised before that, you know, top, top players have not had the credit they deserve. You only have to look at N'Golo Kante, who's basically cast aside by Real Madrid and came here and was a superstar. When he asked for parity with some of the superstars at Real Madrid, he was told, you know, you don't really do as, as, as important a job. And he's come over here and he's um, won things for fun. And Didier Drogba, you know, I mean, you know, the, 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 he scored goals for fun. He was an, an absolute legend for... Chelsea, but was he really given the credit he deserved in terms of top honours outside of Chelsea? Uh, I'm not sure he was. But at the same time, I think as far as Mane is concerned, I, I would probably lean more towards um, the fact that away from the pitch, you know, people look at what Jordan Henderson's done in terms of leadership and you know the way that he conducts himself, and they'd be absolutely right to. He's been he's been a fabulous ambassador for Liverpool as well as a great servant on the pitch. Um, but Mane, as you say, the numbers tell their own story, mm. um, and I think as far as Mane is concerned, he will continue to be a very very galactico, as you would say, Trev, for Liverpool as far as they are concerned. It just dilutes it a little bit for me. If you're going to go and start thinking about what players. Um, impact is in in society rather than what he actually does on the pitch. I agree with you. I agree with you. But you see, I've all, I've had this problem for a long time. We talk about football of the year and sports personality of the year. I'm going to take, go, go past last year because Raheem Sterling could have probably got an Oscar last year. You know, after he called out the media, you know, you, it, it, people were falling out over themselves to go too far the other way and give it. You know, he had a, a good season, but you know, football feels guilt. 
and doesn't know how to deal with that guilt. So it just basically <laughs> says, all right, you called us out. Don't, don't do it again. You know, um, I think, but you know, when you look at Sports Personality of the Year Award and some of the people who do magnificent things throughout the year and then somebody will win it and you'll yeah. think, really? You know. Well, Lewis Hamilton's the prime example and I, and I've voiced this opinion to, to friends and family. I didn't want to say it, so I'm glad you did. It's a travesty that Lewis Hamilton has never won Sports Personality of the Year and I do think that is directly related to the colour of his skin. I think sometimes we don't get enough access to, to, to footballers as, as reporters, commentators, journalists. I don't think... I, think I, th- I actually think the lockdown has helped that terrifically. I think we are so much more in contact with them now than we've ever been. Do you think that making relationships with those football people, people who play the game, would help us understand the character of the individuals better and therefore represent them better when we are describing them and their actions? I think um, the lockdown has changed football forever. I think it's been the worst thing that could happen and the best thing that could happen. The worst thing, for obvious reasons, you know, it's been a horrific time uh, in our lives, in our families, in, in, in employment, and also for all sorts of reasons. Within sport, it's it's forced sport to stay in this moment. You know, normally there is something that is able to take over the news agenda and allow the people that the pressure is on at the moment to get a bit of breathing space. But it's forced sport to look at this issue, to stay with this issue, to look at the different aspects of this issue and to look at itself as well and say, are you doing enough? And the answer quite resoundingly is no. The reason why I think this this break has also helped is because the players have been able to illustrate the reports and the uh, all of the, 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 the findings of these reports that have come up with their own personal experience. We are past the time where somebody can say, now we're going to commission an investigation into this in football. We've had a million audits, a million investigations, a million this, a million that. The players are now speaking and they're speaking loudly and they're using social media to do it. And we are having to stay and listen and watch and learn and 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 actually answer the question of what we are going to do about it. Football is having to say, what are we doing about this? And so in answer to your question, yes, I do think this period where footballers are giving more of themselves and explaining more of themselves and um, putting the game in a position where it has to listen, it's teaching us. This is a teachable moment for our sport. And I, I think if we, if the lockdown hadn't happened, I don't think we would have had, for example, this report. And it, I think this report would have probably been smuggled out, smuggled out because the people who did the report did a great job, but it certainly wouldn't have had the, the oxygen that it's had and, and put people in a position where they have to explain it. And we certainly wouldn't have had the focus on, 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 other areas of the way we package and present football, because that's what this is about, the way we package and present football. It's forcing us to listen. This lockdown is the best thing to ever happen to British football. You know, we wouldn't have had Gareth Southgate come out had we not had this lockdown and say, I too have benefited from white privilege. Do you know what that does for football history, for the amount of coaches who have felt that there's been institutional bias against them, but have not articulated it because they've been so worried about people rolling their eyes and saying, there you go again, using the R word. This lockdown is the greatest thing ever to happen to football. Forget about teams that have done well. Forget about brilliant, you know, the the title wins and invincibles and whatever else. In terms of levelling the playing field and at least getting people to listen, feel uncomfortable, but for us all, black and white and Asian and every other ethnicity to move forward together, I cannot think of a greater period, bar none, in football than this last three, four months. I would like to say that I went into this thinking I want to listen and I want to learn and I want to talk um, and I I want to get better at my job. I thought we were going to do 20 minutes. I'm an hour and 20 minutes on my recorder. I don't, you know, but that's because I think we, we, we're quite good at talking. 
<laughs> a lot. Um, I hope we actually do something about what it is that we've discussed. I would like to think that if, if you did hear things that you were uncomfortable with in a commentary that I did, that you would feel that it was appropriate for you to say to me, Sam, did you know that you slipped into this the other day so that I could review it? Uh, because I would like to just say that I think your broadcasts are fantastic and I don't think I've ever heard you say something that I would want to pull you up on, if but, anything. But, but that's you very kind that of you. you. No, no, but I, I, I'm... Listen, people might think I'm joking, but I think you are what this whole thing needs. You know, you've you've seen the report and you've said, you know what, I'm going to give an hour and I'm going to sit down and I'm going to talk about and maybe look at what I've done and look at the way I've done it and see if there's anything I can learn from that. That's what we all have to do. And when I say we, I mean me as well as you guys. Have I shouted loudly enough at serious points? Trev, have you maybe used language that you possibly... Absolutely. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's, it's, I've, that's, we've all done that's the essence. That is the essence of why we're here. Mm-hmm. You know, we've, we've, I think we've all felt quite privileged to go in and watch elite football again, going into the stadiums, even though it is yep. strange without the, without the fans. But we've got responsibility and, you know, we're feeding the nation with words and, and certain words we shouldn't be. I think we're right to reflect on that and say, right, I shouldn't be using these words. I should educate myself on what words I should steer clear of yeah. and try to broadcast in a better way to give the players, for me, this is the main reason, to give the players a better opportunity when they uh, retire from the game because we've not brandished them in a certain stereotypical way. Okay. Yeah. Well, listen, thank, thank you for your time. Thank you for your help. And um, like I said before, if anyone has got any questions and wants to or explore the debate further, then there's Twitter available. We do our best to respond. I don't know if we're as good at responding on Twitter as maybe we even used to be because I haven't enjoyed Twitter for the last little while. But uh, at Sam Matterface, at Mira Darren and at underscore uh, Alex Crook and Trevor is at Trevor 8 Sinclair. Yes? Ah, oh, look at that memory. Yeah, you got mine wrong, though. What's yours? <laughs> Alex underscore Crook, not underscore Alex Crook. All right, okay. Well, there you go. You've corrected me. That's good. And I'm listening, so that's good. Um, thank you very much, guys. Cheers, guys. Brilliant. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds? We set them. Form guides? We've got them. Expert opinions? We share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com. 18 plus. Be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.